are listening to Astrology Today, coming to you live from the beautiful Sunshine Coast and the Cathat region, which is situated on the traditional lands of the Clahomon Nation. I will be your host, Maureen Reed, and I am again joined by two this week. Yay! Say hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. So we have Jill, who is an astrologer out of Victoria, and Jenna, who is a student of astrology, who's coming from North Van, right? Yes. Yes. Cool. Very cool. Let me get my Zoom so that I can see everybody. Yay! We're all here and we've got sound. It's all good. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> what we're going to uh, talk about this week uh, was a topic that uh, Jenna brought to our attention, which is good because I was surprised. I thought I thought for sure I'd covered some ast- asteroids in my, because this is episode 120, but guess what? I had not, not even a little bit. You could probably do 120 episodes on asteroids. Uh, yeah, you could, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, we, we, you know, we can come back to this topic because I'm only, we're only going to try what was first coming out um, when Jill and I were going to conferences back in the day. So anyway, uh, so first I'm going to start with a brief astronomy lesson, which will also go with uh, one of the visuals that I created. So I'm just going to pull that up there. Okay, everybody see that Okay. Yeah, good, 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 good. Okay, so um, asteroids are sometimes called minor planets, and Ceres is actually, um, uh, she got promoted at the same time that Pluto got demoted, which will, when we come to talking about Ceres, we'll, we'll kind of come back to that. Anyway, so um, they're rocky remnants uh, left over from the Earth early formation of our solar system about 4.6 billion years ago. Um, and the current count is 1,113,500 527 of them, little rocks roaring around. But what's bizarre about it is they're combined um, like if you pushed them all together, they don't even equal the mass of the moon, which is very strange. And so in the graphic that I've got up, and for folks who want to follow along with the charts and the graphics that are uh, up on YouTube, uh, you go to my website, uh, cardinalastrology.ca, under the radio tab, and you will find them. Um, but these, this particular band of asteroids is not the only band Apparently, there's even some closer to the Earth. but And then there's the huge Kuiper Belt, which um, spit out, Cer- or not Ceres, but uh, Chiron and a bunch of other objects that, you know, over time we will. Well, we've talked a little bit about Eris, um, but there's yeah. some other ones as well. Makey Makey is one. And, Quite yeah. a few of them now. Yeah, yeah, they are. But they're not from... The asteroid belt that's between Mars and Jupiter. They're further out. They're yeah, they're out. way further out. Oh, past Pluto, actually. Beyond Pluto. Yeah. They are. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so the largest one, Vesta, it was the first one that was sort of discovered. Um, and its total mass um, is, well, it's around 329 miles in diameter. Uh, and it was discovered in 1807. And of course, since then, you know, there's been, I imagine, a, you know, a million astronomy undergrads have, you know, been documenting. <laughs> I mean, they're up to a million now. So, yeah, it's kept a lot of students busy, I'm sure. Okay, so, um, and those first ones were named after the goddesses. And it is argued in some astrology circles that this was, you know, sort of at the beginnings of the real movement um, in uh, sort of feminine rising up to challenge the patriarchy. And so the... The fact that, you know, again, this strangeness where astronomers who, you know, if they could rid the earth of astrologers, they would. Not all of them, but some of them. Um, you know, that they still seem to be able to name things correctly, <laughs> which is just one of those odd things in astrology. Anyway, so they did. They started naming them after these goddesses. Now, since then, there are gods, you know, different uh, um gods and, and goddesses from different uh, wow my brain's just not really working today cultures cultures and, and stuff thank you Jill thank you <laughs> and you've also got ones like Chiron Chiron's one of them as well yeah yeah Chiron is one although he would have been spit out from the Kuiper belt anyway so there are asteroids that are named after uh, East Indian gods and goddesses there's you can You're probably find your own name yeah. out there somewhere on a rock. Apparently, yeah, no, he Chiron orbits between Saturn and Uranus. Yes, whereas these guys are stuck between Mars and Jupiter. Yeah, um, it's like the bridge between Saturn and Uranus. Yes, uh, yes, yeah. Bridging the old and the new. Yeah, exactly. Very important fellow. And say again. Oh, my computer. Oh, what happened? Oh, oh, have I lost everybody? I think I have. Oh, we've had a major technical glitch. And I'm on my own. Um, Zoom is trying to reconnect this. <laughs> I thought we were done with Mercury retrograde. Apparently not. I'm probably going to go through this show by myself now. Because I am totally not sure what happened. Okay, folks, I can do this. So I will continue on with, um, yeah, and we'll see if Zoom brings my ladies back or not. Okay, so when these, these asteroids uh, were first started to be named, astrologers actually weren't paying attention to them back in the 1800s because they require an ephemeris, which is uh, massive amounts of calculation that I have no understanding of in order to plot the position of the orbits of said asteroids. And so it wasn't until, oh, we've got oh, somebody back. Yay. You're both Please, back. I have, back. I have no idea what happened, but obviously <laughs> something happened. <laughs> so 
And we were filling the air with, with our wisdom here. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> I, got, I got into talking about Chiron just because that's where we were. And... Yeah. Okay. So I will continue on where I actually, because this is live radio, so I have to keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, what I was discussing is the fact that astrologers didn't um, start looking at uh, the asteroids and charts until the 70s. And it was an astrologer named Eleanor Brock who um, convinced an astronomer friend of hers to actually come up with an ephemeris. And as it so happens that when she finally got this ephemeris um, produced and went to a conference, I think it was in San Francisco, one of the first people she met at this conference who, and Demetra, the way she tells the story, she says she felt incredibly out of place because the astrologers of the day in the 70s were, you know, sort of dressing like wow, they, they weren't hippies, let's just put it that way. <laughs> and she was, she was totally a hippie. Anyway, the first person she met was Eleanor Brock. And when she introduced herself as Demetra, Eleanor just yeah. took one of the books out and handed her the ephemeris and said, you're supposed to have this. Anyway, huh. so um, as the story goes, and if you listen, so just to shout out to Chris Brennan and the astrology podcast basically all of the detail that I will be babbling about comes straight out of the podcast um, that he did with Demetra just a while back on the asteroids um, because apparently she's updating her material to to include you know more of her research with the asteroids and is going to be giving these talks throughout the year and probably be available to buy it off off her website anyway <laughs> where was I okay so um, she took that and started plugging all these asteroids in because um, Eleanor herself had put in you know probably the backstories for these uh, the four main ones which is Ceres, Pallas, Juno and Vesta um, and so Demetra actually started putting them in charts and uh, was quite amazed um, when they were prominent. And anything in astrology, basically one of the guiding principles is for a point in a chart to say anything meaningful, it has to be in a significant place. Um, so, I mean, literally, uh, one of my other students asked me to produce a chart with what my computer program, SolarFire, will put into a chart. And she w was kind of stunned because it basically fills the circle, <laughs> you yeah, know. Yeah. And, you know, because you can, you could, I guess, in theory, put a million asteroids in your chart. Obviously, you wouldn't. But um, even with, I think Solar Fire has like 35 that it's tracked and that has ephemerises for that will put them in your chart. And um, so the other place that you can go uh, for freebies is uh, horoscopesastro.seek.com and it, w it has an asteroid calculator. And I'm not sure how many asteroids it has there, but you know, it's pretty, these four main ones are typically can come in most chart services that you can find yeah. online. Yeah, to put them in. <clears throat> okay, so if it's on an angle, 
if it is connected to the ruler of the ascendant, if it's conjunct one of the major lights or, you know, that's what it's going to take for these asteroids to actually um, appear in, you know, person's storyline, I would say. You'd agree, eh, Jill? Yeah, basically, that's generally how we kind of put the stra- the emphasis on something is to look, you know, if it's on the angles particularly. Yes, are, yeah. And for that, you need a, an accurate birth time, obviously. Yes, yeah. So is for correct. some people, you can't. Yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it would be difficult. But again, if it was conjunct the moon or yeah. the sun, um, then that's likely going to produce, you know. And even to some extent, Mercury or Venus, because those are very personal as well. Yes, yeah. Oh, gosh. Particularly Venus, I guess, with the... With it being a goddess or the moon, yes. So what Demetra began to see, and I think it's been confirmed that um, bringing out these asteroids, especially the feminine ones, it speaks to the rise of feminism, the rise of women challenging the patriarchy. Um, Thankfully, yay. (laughs) The fight's not over. (laughs) I mean, there are times when women think it is, and, and Jill and I have gone through that period where there was this huge backlash where supposedly if you were a feminist, that meant you hated uh, hated men and all of that gong show, which I think pretty much has subsided now. Um, and then there was a period of time there where, um, especially in, I don't know about you, Jill, but I know in, in sort of my friend, female, there was this, well, when are men going to get a life, you know, in other words, and break out of the traditional male roles. And fortunately, that too has happened. You know, like Jill and I, our fathers had absolutely nothing to do with us as children, right? You know, it just wasn't done. For the most part, that that has changed. Yeah, hugely, hugely. There are are still some families where they're very traditional. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure, but yeah, overall, yeah, yeah. culturally. Yeah. Yay, so the, you know, we're inching forward, Jenna. <laughs> don't give up the fight, <laughs> you know. I'm trying. I don't know, things you're saying are resonating with me in some way, but. Yeah. Yeah, feminism yeah. has evolved, but, you know, there's definitely some seeds of the past still. Oh, yeah. There. Oh, yeah. yeah. Patriarchy doesn't want to surrender happily. No, no, <laughs> or willingly. Okay, so she finally, after almost 10 years, <clears throat> um, went, to, uh, went around, by this point, of course, she'd been doing lots of readings and things, and so she came out of her um, sort of communal scenario and, and once again started to go to conferences and stuff, and so, you know, she wanted to, um, you know, tell people about these asteroids and how important they were, and, um, you know, at one of the conferences she met up with a guy that does uh books and um and so he said oh you know doing lectures is fine but you know you're like 15 people might show up for your talk because when you go to a conference there's like 10 things all happening at the same time which just it makes it difficult because you have to choose Oh, I, but I want to hear that one. But that one's on at the same time that this one is on. And anyway, um, and so he said, no, you have to write a book. 
with this material. And so fortunately, he was also an editor, because it sounds like when she describes this, that she's not really a particularly good writer. <laughs> and uh. he, he had to go through every line of the book. But anyway, so in, in uh, 1986, the Asteroid Goddess book came out, and I can remember being at a conference and buying it. And yeah, it in terms of um, having something more than just Venus and the moon to describe the whole feminine side of life, mm -hmm. you know, it was like, yay, <laughs> it's about time, you know, um, because literally the way astrology, of course, the astrology was only done for men back 2000 years ago there. I'm sure there was the odd woman that that did charts and had chart readings. But by and large, it was totally patriarchal and well, initially, it was done for just the rulers of yeah. the country. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and if it, if you were really ordinary, bad at it, you didn't live. Ordinary people didn't get the church. <clears throat> no, they didn't. Okay, so let's dive into these first four and uh, look at some charts. Yeah, so we're going to start with series. Uh, uh, typically, back in the day, her storyline um, began with just being, you know, the goddess of agriculture and responsible for feeding people on the earth. Um, but she was also the goddess of death and rebirth mysteries. And in her story, she has this huge storyline, which... Um, you know, if you've got a really prominent uh, series in your chart, um, you might be like, oh, I don't know if I really want this, because this is the story of uh, Demetra, her daughter Persephone, um, and her brother Pluto taking her daughter to the underworld, committing all sorts of bizarre, not nice things to her, holding her there, you know, and then Demetra gets pissed off and so she shuts the earth down and um, you know it's sort of the mythology behind our seasons um, but it's also this you know this rape and they did nasty things in those stories <laughs> yes well mythology has got a lot of that kind of stuff running through it yeah, yeah but she's you know in a, in, in a positive sense it can be a very strong mother-daughter bond because of yes. the story of, I mean and grief as well because that's what propelled her she yeah shut down she shut down the, the uh, production on the earth because she wasn't doing nothing until her daughter came back so the earth was in permanent winter until yeah until she could get Persephone back from the underworld and and finally the deal was struck yeah <laughs> that's Jupiter probably intervened. He liked to do that, and uh, and struck a deal where she could come above the come uh, come out from the underworld for half the year and then yeah. go back. Yeah, that's our seasons. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, a it's a very powerful myth. So it is, yeah. yeah, and it has a lot of um, implications. So obviously there is the whole food piece of it. And so um, Demetra has found that uh, Vesta can be prominent with folks who have eating disorders. Um, of course, there'll be backstories to that. Um, it's also connected with, um, you know, obviously separation and loss. So a strong series could indicate that, you know, one within their family system has experienced a loss, even a loss of a child. 
Um, fertility as well. Fertility is a big part of it. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so what else? So we have eating disorders. The other thing that they track is there are two asteroids that are named after Persephone. Um, and there's one called Pos Poserpina. Yeah. Poserpina. The, uh, the Greek. Yeah. Yeah. So those are two that can be also plotted in your chart if you think that series is very strong in your chart. Um, okay. So sexual violence, obviously by a family member because Pluto was Demetra's brother. Um, and so the charts, let me just pull up some charts with people who have it strong. And in some ways, it's kind of not surprising Okay. Yeah, so. Demeter is actually the Greek name for Ceres. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so let me see who, not that one. I want, who do I want? I want uh, Jewel. So the last one. Is the it last the last one. one? Thank you. There it is. Okay, so she has Ceres here with Jupiter, and in this chart, Chiron plays a really strong role and it's conjunct uh, her Venus uh, and uh, she unfortunately was on the receiving end of incest with her father um, and so we've got you know sort of a series in um, Ju with Jupiter and with Juno. Um, well that's interesting too it's almost like he was making her his wife. Exactly exactly Juno yeah symbolism, right so that's a really worked. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. As uh, happens. <laughs> yeah, it can, it can. And uh, the other one, let me just see now. Uh, who else, who else? Oh, and the other one is Madonna. Now, what's interesting about Madonna's chart is... Um, for her, it was literally the loss of her mother. So Ceres is here. It's conjunct her moon. And so she did. She lost her mother at a very young age, um, was not a happy camper with the replacement um, at all, and later um, was attacked on the streets of New York, uh, held at knife point and had to perform not fun things. Um, and so, you know, that... Um, that loss and having to deal with it, um, plus that, you know, the, the, the violence kind of piece, both of those have come through. And again, this is conjunct her ascendant and her moon. Um, and she also has Pallas um, strongly connected to 12th house. And one of her, her comments about what happened to her in New York was be feeling powerless. Right. And that was something that Ceres, Demetra, Demeter, um, you know, in her rage, it was that being powerless not to be able to bring her daughter back uh, from the underworld. Uh, yeah. So. Now, Pallas is very, you know, that's a powerful T square with Mars and Chiron. Oh, yeah. 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 Chiron. And if, and if we think about the image and what she played with, um, uh, you know, in terms of, of how she presented herself out in public. Um, you know, she carried very strong feminist signature, you know, out into the world and played with well, it. The other interesting piece to me is, is Vesta. Mm -hmm. 
up in the 11,000 cancer because the, 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 one of the, we're going into a different goddess here, but one of the things with the Vesta, Vestal virgins, mm-hmm. initially they were all about sac- sacred sexuality. And I mean, Madonna is all over the whole sex thing. I mean, she wrote, had a book on sex and everything. So yes. Yeah. You know, that, that, that Vesta is not tied into any of the other planets. So it's almost like it has free reign there. Other than it's the, you know, it's ruled by that moon series. Oh, yeah, but it's yeah, it's yeah. Tight. yeah, but yeah, in terms of aspects, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that often gives a, a lot of power to that one planet. Yeah, I didn't know that. So if there is an aspect of the chart that is untouched by everything else, it stands alone and it has a yes. power to it. Yes, because yeah, you kind of look at the chart, and everybody's sort of tied to each other there. But Vesta's is up there like I can do whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, she was like, kind of of her stuff was kind of like that <laughs> it was it was totally like but then it. and she also has that uh a very powerful mercury in its own domicile in the first house um yeah yeah, yeah. just this is not a you know walk in the park kind of chart that we're looking wow. at okay pluto <laughs> yeah yeah no exactly <laughs> we're we're a powerful and, spokesperson and it's a sign of of, of, of virgo which is yeah. the virgin yes oh yeah no no there's there's the themes are and and yeah with people that do rise to prominence that's quite common that a a theme will come and then the chart just amplifies and amplifies it and amplifies it yeah and so of course whenever you have virgo rising that's going to put the 10th house ruler uh on notice right because it rules her 10th house and in this case it the mc is actually in gemini yeah. Okay, so let, let's flesh out some of the other ones. Um, so Pallas Athena, so her backstory is she was born, um, she was the daughter of Jupiter, um, and he just sort of plucked her out of his head, which is just, that's got to be some weird patriarchal war well, yeah, something. No feminine input exactly exactly and she was born with the armor on so yeah yeah ready yeah. ready to fight exactly yeah. she's yeah. a warrior goddess you know I mean, yeah she is okay so so let 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 me add some more detail to this um okay so she was the only one of the old goddesses that was elevated in terms of being an image of the feminine that was strong capable wise strategic and battle ready um, and she she apparently did duels with Mars in which she could totally humiliate him, which is, you know, some of us with Aries Risings go, yay! <laughs> she was the patron also, though, of artisans and craftspeople, uh, the goddess of weaving. So it wasn't just that. Um, and, uh, but for her, you know, dominance, uh, she was um, uh, not allowed to have a consort. So she was considered a virgin uh, goddess, which that part is not very nice. Um, So we often find this archetype, um, the struggle between being the best that they can be in a chosen field and still be, um, you know, attractive in relationship. And so you will see it in the charts of people who... um, you know, they they stand out, but 
it's not anything to do with the other feminine archetypes. Mm. Yeah. I think some, and sometimes if it's not well aspected, you can have pretty big daddy issues as well. Yes, yeah, it is considered part of the father-daughter complex. Um, and and is justice too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's yeah. a big policy thing. Yeah, and one of the things that is now being uh, discussed with our whole gender fluidity thing is that um, palace just might be the signature of those that are not interested in being defined specifically, right? The non-binaries, the fluid nature of sexuality. And so it'll, you know, it'll remains to be seen uh, once, you know, people start putting them in in charts and looking at it from that perspective, just whether or not that comes out. And so the the chart that I had for this one is kind of obvious. Where is she? Is that the first one? Yeah, Amelia Earhart. So there it is, Palace right on the Ascendant. And she knew... That's what I have. Oh, really? Exactly on the Ascendant, yeah. Oh, okay. Margaret Atwood? No, this is Amelia Earhart. And Amelia Earhart was, yeah, this woman who uh, broke down barriers and, and, uh, you know, flew airplanes. And um, she was also instrumental or part of organizations. Uh, Let me just see. I wrote it down somewhere. Um, Oh, okay. Where are we here? She was part of the Equal Rights... um, movement in the states and you know when i think canadians we think equal rights we think of the whole um racist thing but no this was equal rights vis-a-vis women right so demanding you know that equality and so she also has some other strong goddesses uh you know that we've been talking about series she's got that uh moon pluto series venus all sandwiched together i didn't see other than there was a sibling that died prior to her birth. So the first time her parents had a child, it died, and then she came along. Um, and so that would be part of her storyline. And, uh, yeah, but the that palace. So, my dear, what are you going to do with yours, Jenna? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, reading about reading about Pius Athena was like pretty revolutionary for me first time I started reading about it um but yeah one thing that really sticks out for me is like my dad really instilled in me that I live in a man's world oh not necessarily in a a negative sense but saying like you're a woman and you live in a man's world and you know you have to fight for yourself you have Ah. to fight in a different way you know you have to you have to find your own type of masculinity Mm-hmm. Hmm, that's okay. interesting because what I'm what I'm hearing in that um, is okay. So if we you know we take personality and real people off that storyline that you just said, um, it's like the patriarchy is still going. Yeah, honey, we're still in charge, yeah. and um, it's still alive. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, it is still alive. Um, but it, yeah, she's also got Palace squaring her son. Yes. Yeah, in this one. Yep. That's where the nose, really. And the nose, yeah. Yeah. And opposing Chiron. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. So yes. you, you, and I, you sort of wonder what went on with her 
in terms of her feminine side because she yes. got that Serious yeah, she um she did other yeah. things besides uh, the flying. She was also a nurse. Uh, she actually spent a good deal of time in Canada. Um, yeah. Her mother was French Canadian, um, and um, and what I also find interesting is the fact that when she went missing, so that Venus rules her sixth house, and it's conjunct Neptune, right? And yeah. you know, there's there's still speculating. I don't think they've actually solved that particular mystery of where her and her plane went Gemini, a lot of gemini energy oh yeah yeah okay so moving on to juno um juno uh so this was an interesting story because i hadn't really read it before um and so she was uh, an archaic uh, in Greece, um, before the Dorian tribes um, that uh, carried Zeus as their god invaded. And so Zeus and Jupiter in, are interchangeable. And so in the storyline, um, they were both after this land of Argos, um, where Juno was like a queen, right? She was an ancient goddess of econo economics and prosperity and of all vegetative life. So when Zeus comes and takes over, um, he wants to marry those two cultures together. Um, and so he has to marry her. And in the Greek myth, they portray her as an angry, jealous, shrewish wife. But the ultimate perspective is that there is a part of her willingly gave over some of her power to Jupiter slash Zeus in order to forge uh, uh, like an equal equal that's one of her main things intimate and profound union but unfortunately yeah she ended up getting denied uh, her ability to exercise her wisdom uh, and to rule her own people um, she didn't accept it meekly and she totally acted out and so I thought oh who am I going to find for that and where is he? So this is the only guy chart. I think this is Michael Moore. Yeah. And so there he is, <laughs> Juno wow. on the ascendant <laughs> with Pluto and Pallas Athena. And, you know, um, growing up in uh, Michigan, uh, Dearborn in the whole area of car manufacturing and, you know, how that whole area just went down the toilet. Um, him just you know out there um pointing at you know like stupid white men i think was one of his books and um so that whole you know loss of voice um in service to the powers that be you know like zeus comes in and you know forces this marriage and and um and she's not going to sit quietly back and neither is michael moore yeah I just thought that that was so you can put obviously these this feminine archetype into men's charts and men will act them out. Yeah. Yep. So well, she's got that that strong vesta at the top of the chart as well. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So let's get on to vesta and then we'll come back and look a little closer at all of these charts. So um vesta is Histia, H-E-S-T-I-A, in Greek. She's the goddess of the hearth, the fire. 
uh, the center of each house that forms the cohesion of the household, uh, and the fire on the public hearth. So this is where we get that whole Vestal Virgins who, I mean, this is down the road in terms of this mythology, where they had to, they were bound to celibacy and it was punishable by death, by being buried alive. God, what? Don't let the flame go out of your toast. Yeah, exactly. And that eventually morphed into the nuns of the Middle Ages um, and possibly Demetra thinks it could be why we see the spinsters of Victorian times. So the sublimation of one's sexual energy. And I think in her first book, that was kind of the main theme that she did. But now she's um, going on to say that... uh, uh, that there is a value to celibacy um, or being one's own person. And that was kind of the way that I took it because it seems to me Vesta is fairly strong in my chart. Um, it's uh, not having to be defined by the, you know, the role in the family type of thing. So, um, so it's not being defined by your relationship to a child, to a parent, to a partner, to a boss or anyone else. So this is like, uh, you know, the the secretary or that idea of uh, the power behind the throne type of thing. No, 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 no. And originally, virgin, virgin did not have the meaning. Of yeah. That yeah. Virgin initially meant a woman who was whole unto herself. Yeah. And so one of the things that Demetra discovered... Because these Vestal virgins were, that was their job initially. Was yes, yeah, and that's what I was getting to. Because when Demetra was, would um, see Vesta strong in a person's chart, and uh, so, you know, you probably don't have a lot of sex, and so that was not what the answer that she was getting back. What she was getting back is these women were saying, no, I have sex lots, which makes me think of the hookup generation and how when that sort of flourished there for whatever moment in time it was or still is i was like what are these people talking about yeah (laughs) you know because we thought we were the 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 free love sex generation but i think the the hookup generation took it a step further anyway so what she realized is it is sex just for sex sake right um but it has its roots as jill's pointed out with sacred sex uh, which back in the day, many thousands of years ago, was used as a rite of passage or a cleansing. You know, warriors would come back from war and they would be sent to the temple to be cleansed of their blood horror. I'm not sure. It was and, a healing. Yeah. So do you remember back in the day, there was a book that circulated briefly where it was a woman who had lost a breast to breast cancer cancer and so she had this public display on the front of her book of missing a breast and the book was about her sleeping with guys in order to take the war out of them do you remember that book no seriously this would have been back in the 80s that this book came out and it was so you know, it did not get received well, but in the bookstore that I worked in, which was a metaphysical bookstore, you know, we did have it, and it was like, wow. And that yeah. sort of, to me, just says this whole Vesta. Reclaiming, you know, that's where Vesta is. It's a claiming of, you know, 
I am, I don't need anybody to define me. I am whole unto myself. Right? Yes. Yeah. And I'm then. Not defined by my, my body either. Yeah. But in a way, though, it's the, the right to act with that flame, right? Because it is a, a fire thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And cleansing. Okay, so um, let's go back and have, so the cleansing, uh, okay, so it can also represent, you know, that autonomy that Jill just mentioned, uh, and there can be fear of sexuality and the fear of pregnancy, um, and she also thinks that it currently now, uh, Vesta will be prominent in the people who have championed the Me Too movement is where she sees Vesta operating in yeah, the world right now. I think there can be a fear, fear of sex intimacy because that, again, you're sort of giving yourself away. Yes. Some, and, and it's wanting to be whole unto yourself as, as right. the original meaning of the word. So, yeah, I think there's a piece of that in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's go back and look at some of these. I think uh, Margaret Atwood's is just kind of mind-boggling how much of the goddesses that she's connect there it is there's her chart how is it there there it is yeah so she not only i mean she pretty much has uh, you know an anchor in all of them except for maybe Ceres. but she's got like palace athena conjunct pluto uh, within minutes uh, she's got juno the moon and mars up there on the mc she's got vesta with saturn and, you know, I mean, the, um, what was her book that was made into a series? I actually had to look it up. The Handmaid's Tale. Handmaid's Tale, yeah. Yeah. Well, she's also got series, again, unaspected, right? Yes. Yep. Sitting out there. So that's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. And then that whole subjugation that's in The Handmaid's Tale, right? Moon, Juno, Mars. And then okay. Vesta with Saturn, yeah. She under she understands that feminine arch, you know, like the fact that the feminine archetype isn't just one dimensional, or two dimensional. If you just give it Venus and the Moon, no, there's there's way more to it. Yeah. Well, and you got Pallas in Leo, mm -hmm. and Vesta in Aries. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And she it, really she really works with like the violence of yes. patriarchy. And yes. you can see that in that T square pointing at Mar Mars Mars. Juno. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Like, yep. well, especially with the Scorpio, hey? Mm-hmm. I gotta have her own power there. Yep. Yeah. I guess challenged. And and she was recently featured in um uh Mountain Astrologer actually in the latest um, iteration of that magazine um, and you know so I read that article it was the first one I read and I was shocked that the astrologer who did that article did not mention the fact that she has Mercury Station which is the ruler of her ascendant so whenever you know you're born with a planet that has stationed on the day that you were born it you know puts a big spotlight on that particular planet um, and yeah. obviously, her ability to write, create cultures, dystopian cultures, um, you know, I mean, she's world-renowned for her writing. 
Um, well, and, and, and yet they never mentioned it in, in that article. I was Conjunct Venus, one of the feminine planets mm-hmm. in Sag. So it's really about freeing up the... Yes. You know, get back to your handmaid's tale. It's like, you know, we need to free up the, this image of what the feminine is here. And yeah, or the... And, and yeah. yeah, yeah. It's Well, and she's got a Scorpio sun, so of course she gets the power and... Because <laughs> those two are... <laughs> Those two, actually, if, if Ceres has any aspect, it's a wide square to those two. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So again, it's bringing in that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Nurturing that, that piece. Exactly. It's so literal. And it is. Meaning. It like, is. <laughs> like the Mercury-Venus conjunction squaring the yeah. Mars-Juno. It's literally the feminine that she's writing with and finding power against the violence of patriarchy. Yes. Yeah. 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 People will demo their charts usually fairly accurately, right? Um, and and one of the things that I think both you know Jill will confirm with me is that um, you go to you go to a school or you take a a course in astrology, but the real learning comes when you know, you've got the chart in front of you and the person is sitting there and they are demoing what you're looking at. And so the trick is, is yes, you're going to do a reading for them. But the the flip side of this is you get to ask some really specific questions in order to understand what you're looking at. And And I always always tell clients that it's equally important to listen to what they say as what I say. Oh, totally. Recording afterward? Yeah. Because, yeah, they, they, we don't hear what we say most of the time. We say stuff, but we don't see what it's revealing about ourselves. Whereas if they're listening to it that way, they yep. may. So, yep. yeah, it's, um, yeah. That's really- like the ultimate self-awareness because they come to you looking to be like tell me who i am yeah and then you're like no you tell me and then (laughs) later like oh i just told myself yeah and and, yeah you're not going to ask yourself the right questions but they're there and yeah 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 Yeah, and and the right question is interesting when you when you when you start to look at a chart um i know for myself that is one of the things it's like what do i want to ask about this you know, because I'm looking at a combination possibly that I've never seen before more times yeah. than not. Yeah. Well, the other thing that she's with that palace Pluto in the third house. Yes. <laughs> near near the IC, but yeah. in the third house. I mean, that's, you know, what is she writing about? Yeah. Power. Justice. Yep. Yeah, the storyline. And patriarchy has an incredibly strong Part, you know, like storyline. Well, yeah. Leo. The other one is Saturn up there with, with her south node and, and Vesta. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Very good. Okay. Let's look at another chart here that, uh, let's see. Is this Michael? Who is this? Yeah. I keep getting a Pinterest sticker right over the name. Like, why does it have to do that? <laughs> like, go away. Pinterest. <laughs> like, I never know who I'm looking at. Okay, so here's a man who is embodying, obviously, um, 
Juno here um, with Vesta up here. Yeah. So is his, he married? Um. Yeah, I believe he is actually. I'm yeah. just curious. Yeah. Um. Good question. Um. Yeah. I know. I'm not sure. I think he is. I think. I don't he is. know anything about him, and I just that popped into my head. Yeah. yeah. Well, they he, were together from 1991 until 2014. Oh, okay. So he was married. Yeah. 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 Okay. He would yeah, be a difficult person to have to sit in the back seat with, just because of the kind of controversy that he loves to stir up. Um, yeah. You know, his challenge to the status quo, to the conservative point of view. Um, yeah. Um, I was, um, I've, I actually follow, he has a blog. No, it's something else. I don't know. I can't keep track of these things. Um, he does a talk show and he just recently did uh, an episode that I found quite informative. Um, there is a group that started back in the seventies that um, they produce a uh, journal once a year, um, and they bring to light stories that uh, the general media have um, put under the carpet or have not really, you know, done their correct journalistic scenario to. And so he was interviewing the people that produce this journal, and they've been doing it since the 70s. Yeah, all the stories that get buried that don't make you know, the light of day. Yeah. Got that Mercury up there, you know, squaring that Uranus. He's, he's going to challenge things. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Dang, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had another brilliant thought, and it went and left immediately so this this chart is just when you get that kind of concentration and <clears throat> so one of the things that you can say about a chart like this is it needs perspective and um, you know <laughs> so that puts that the limelight totally on that Chiron um, and her need to understand her own wounding um, in order to, you know, to, to manage the kind of power that this chart has and for it not to go astray. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, I think she's still a work in progress on that because I think she struggles with a lot of the wounding she's had. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Yeah, it has not been a simple, although, you know, dramatic and out there on the stage life. Um, well, yeah, yeah. Leo... And, and the Virgo piece. Mm -hmm. When you have signs that are side by side uh, in the ancient doctrine, Hellenistic, that's called aversion. And so they can't see each other. And so if you put the lights, you know, in aversion to each other, it's like the center core of a person has a really hard time coming together. And so it'll, it'll go back and forth. You know, there'll be times when the sun is in charge and times when the moon's in charge. Uh, but having the, the two pieces sort of come together um, can be almost non-existent. And, of course, 12th house there, self-undoing is just huge. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> but definitely that, carrying that series that archetype. Mars, that square to Mars up there, too. It's, you know, it's a fixed T-square. It's, it's, that makes it even harder to shift the, the patterns. Yeah. 
because yep. fixed signs are fixed. You know, they are they tend to be, you know, yeah, much more intransigent when it comes to being able to move and let go of stuff. Yeah. And of course yeah. of all the fixed signs, Taurus is cement about the fixedest of them. yeah it's cement <laughs> it's basically but, cement but it gives her the tenacity to oh work yes i mean you could knock her down and she would get right back up again yep and, and wanting to be unpredictable is that square to your yes yep yep and having well, that mind wanting to be controversial and it's nice yes thing. yeah and of course we've also got a you get more attention that way See how we lovely talk over each other? It's just wonderful. Um, also that uh, Mercury, Pluto, Juno, um, you know, this is Mercury that's exalted, um, dignified, first house, it's its joy uh, to be there. Yeah, that's, this is one heck of a mind. And, you know, I, one, of, one of the things that I like to point out to people that, you know, the mind is wonderful, but it is just the tool. It isn't supposed to be the captain of the ship. And uh, I suspect her mind gets her in trouble. Yeah. 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 And again, with Pluto, it's Pluto often is, you know, wants to hang on to stuff. But it will let go, but it's like holds on and holds on and holds on. Before it. <laughs> well, and, and, and you can obsess about a whole lot of stuff with that. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And being I suspect that um, in her shows and stuff, her desire to be um, for the show to be done perfectly. Oh, ugh, that would be so scary to work with her. Arg. I can't imagine. Yeah. And Mercury does rules that. Midheaven too. So. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. As all these Virgo planets. I mean. It's, yeah. It's very. Uh, have. Um, no, I guess she's not of your generation, is she, Jenna? No, she's more. Madonna. Yeah, like you would have. Yeah, she, have you she seen her show? Little, no, I've never seen her show. She in the early two thousand. She had a couple singles right. that came out, but yeah, I, I don't know her super well. Yeah. <laughs> She's born in the late 50s, isn't she? Um, 1959. 58. Yeah, she's an old lady now. Damn. <laughs> closer than our generation. Yeah, she is. So, Jenna, you also need to, um, so again, to help us make this show more relevant to um, <laughs> younger audiences, you need to sit. So if we come up with a topic... Um, I'm yeah. going to task you with finding charts of more modern, young, current, current people. Okay. There's the word. <laughs> so sure. that, yeah, yeah. Because I suspect, you know, we're, we're missing, like in an episode like this, we're missing some current people that people your age would identify with more in terms of, and again, it'll show how the archetype is evolving how it's changing and yeah. yeah that's what i'm also gonna look at after is like how we're talking about like the feminist wave with the asteroids and i'm curious how yeah. they've evolved to today like what's going on with them today exactly so you look at people you find their charts so who i should have um put into this is uh ocasio what's her loc um she's that congresswoman down in new york 
I can't think of her name now. Anyway, she should have been in this list because I suspect she's carrying some pretty strong asteroid things. But yeah, yeah. So help us out, dear. <laughs> sure. Well, we could continue this asteroid discussion into another episode next time or, or another time. There's another so much time. To- yeah. Yeah. The other powerful feminine that's become, I mean, it's been discovered more recently is, is Eris. Yes. Yeah. And she's again, another warrior. God, yes. Yeah. And all that stuff. And yeah. We just, just, it's too bad. She moves so slow. Yeah. yeah. Well, she does move slow, but yeah. that makes her pretty powerful because she's. Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so with she, these guys, I don't, I don't think I mentioned this, but they have about four to five year orbit. Um, And during their one course through the Zodiac, they will typically uh, do a station retrograde twice, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, like Mars has two, uh, 24, no, what is it, 20, he's, he's a little more than two years. And then, of course, Jupiter is 12. And so that band is... It's it, obviously it's closer to Mars than it is to Jupiter because if their yeah. orbit is only four to five years, but uh, yeah, so they zip around pretty quick. Whereas Eris is like five hundred and yeah, builds up meaning. The slower more, they go, the deeper the meaning. Globally, yeah, globally, what's happening? Yeah, generational. Yeah, totally. Okay, we are down to a minute 20 seconds. I should remind myself that I am on live radio and that there are other shows besides mine. <laughs> so, okay, so let we could continue this with possibly some other asteroids. And Jenna is going to find us a list of charts to look at for next week. How does that sound? Sounds good. All righty. Okay, folks, I am going to have to... Uh, you might Do want to tell us what asteroids you got in mind. Well, yeah. Well, no. we'll we'll get the charts first and then see what charts, what asteroids they have in them. Because I have 35 to choose from and I'm down to 40 seconds. So, folks, thank you for <laughs> listening. And you have been listening to CJMP 90.1 FM, Powell Rivers Community Radio Station. And we look forward to chatting again next week. Take care. Bye, Jenna. Bye, Jill. Bye. Have a good weekend.